Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. Good morning, Beverly. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Jenny? I am coming off of a high because my last clothing sale happened yesterday as we record this, and it was a really, really good one. Um, It's the best one that I've had. That's awesome. I'm super excited about it because not only have I cleaned out, I want to say, 60 items from my closet, (laughs) which is nice, but I have also um, used that as an opportunity to raise some funds for that wackadoo business idea I have. So I'm super excited about that as well. So it's been great. That's awesome. Yesterday, Jim and I did a race, and it's interesting to call them races now because we've switched from running to walking. Um, okay, but to be fair, you did indicate that you walk at almost the same speed you run. That's true. That's true. We're walking really, we're really hoofing it when we're walking, and it's uh, we had a great time. It was a 10K. It's a big race here in, in Baltimore. Blocks off all the streets. Cars get really mad. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite 5K that I've ever done um, is one that our local airport hosts. And so it starts at five in the morning before flights begin. And it's called the Runway 5K. And you actually run on the runway. Oh, that's funny. Which means, you know, all those lines you yeah. drive over and fly past on the runway, uh-huh. you get an option, an opportunity to actually experience how wide they are. <laughs> yeah. Those are really big. They look very small as you're runwaying off of them, but they're, they're actually quite large. So it's, it's a neat one, I think, to get yeah. to do that. Now the runway isn't long enough for the whole 5k, so you're on it. And then you're off of it running through the airport parking lot, but whatever. (laughs) And the other interesting thing about it that I found the first year I did it was that there is a pacing that's required because they do have a time when they want to put planes back on that runway. (laughs) So so you have to keep a certain pace. I did, so that wasn't a problem. But I also discovered if you're running that 5K and it takes you 45 minutes to finish it, they have already taken away the the finish line oh yeah super fucking bummer i mean genuinely <laughs> it was one of those where i came around the final corner and i'm like where's the end because i'd oh. seen it before it was a big old arch all these balloons people standing there there was cheering it looked great by the time i came around it was it was down and i was oh. not the last person um because that is this is terrible this says something really ugly about me my goal in any 5k I run is to just not be last that's all <laughs> that's my entire goal is can I please not be last that's what I think a lot of people's goal a lot of people's goal I actually thought of um starting a thing where I was intentionally the last person in every race so that no one would have to be last oh yeah but then I thought uh I'm not really that good i'm not gonna do that it it would be hard to do especially if your normal pace would put you in say the top 50 percent. even you know what i yeah, mean yeah yeah because yeah. it's it's like when i go walking with my husband he's he's only like an inch taller than i am but his stride is much wider than my mm-hmm. stride like mm-hmm. i have to jog to keep up with him mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. has to remember to what feels like to him walk in slow-mo in order to keep pace with me yeah and so it's I can only imagine trying to do that for 5K. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, (laughs) we should probably talk about some sewing. That's awesome. A great idea. This month, we have a wonderful sponsor, Stocks Patterns. They have, of course, sponsored us previously, and they are letting us give away three of their patent apron patterns. Now, this is that apron pattern that reminds me of a utilicilt. It is in no way a utilicilt. It's only a front half of a skirt type apron pattern, right? It's just the bottom Mm -hmm. half waistband front with two awesome pockets on the side. I think why it reminds me of Utila Kilts is it has those deep pleats as well, which it, just automatically true. takes me there. Um, I'm I'm going to try and make this one. This is one I would like to make because I think it would be like my favorite apron for apron moments, which might be when I'm painting fabric or doing these other things. It leaves my bodice completely exposed, yeah. but it has the kind of pocket I think I'd use. I've always hated those patch pockets on the front with where you stick yeah. a tool down in it. And this has got pockets you come in at from the side. So I'm, I'm really excited by this one. Yeah. I think it's a nice looking one. It looks like it does look like a sturdier apron. It um, does. I Maybe the webbing and rings that you use to, to connect it in the back contribute to that look as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause most aprons don't, don't have, sort of those harness type closures. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking actually, and I don't know if I'll do it, but it would be, I've got this very like um, sewable leather that I bought at in New York. And I think wow. it would make a really great one of these. Like, cause the lines on this are simple. Very uh, I'm not simple. sure about the pleating, but like I could probably, I could probably eliminate that if I needed to. I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, absolutely. And, uh, and I know you may have another use for leather too, based on the interview we'll be talking about later in the show, because you could totally make yourself a thimble. Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a skirt. <laughs> No, I was thinking a thimble, but I like where your mind went immediately. It's very good. Okay. Um, okay. If you'd like to sponsor a prize for our show, just reach out to us, punkfrockers at gmail or DM us. As you can tell, we'll sit and chat about your product because it's sewing and we love stuff. So That's that'll be right. awesome. What have you been up to, Beverly? Well, I've made a couple of things. Um, the first thing I made, I made the Daughter Judy Isola Jumpsuit. This is the jumpsuit that has, it's a fitted bodice. It has uh, like cropped legs and that are kind of wide and a big zipper the whole way up the front. And like there's the straps on it crisscross in the back and then button uh, to the back. It's an interesting uh, construction to it. And at first I thought this thing is not going to fit me. And actually I, I did actually have to like, uh, uh, reduce the seam allowance on the sides. And I thought, I'm pretty sure I got the right size. Like I measured for myself. So yeah. be careful when you're doing that. And maybe, you know, uh, I wish in this case that for the bodice portion, I had done a muslin on it because in a fitted thing, it's probably really worth it. Um, Cause I use this really lovely fabric, which is this Charlie Harper bark cloth. Yeah. And um, anyways, it ended up working out. I was able to get it to fit. It looks really nice. The because I didn't do a muslin um of the bodice, uh I think I need to wear a tank top under it because of just just how it fits. Anyways, yeah. So it, it's an adorable pattern. It really um it feels fun. I don't know if I have the guts to wear it to work. Like Okay. It's one of those things that I think is fun 
but it, it feels, that's going to sound terrible. It feels like it's younger than me and which <laughs> I don't mind wearing, but I, it feels a little different at work with where, when I work with so many young people, I don't know. Anyway, okay. um, I think there's a lot there you can explore, but you get to feel comfortable in what you feel comfortable in, you know? So then I decided to make a tank top for it. And I used the Underwood tank. um, It's a dress and tank top pattern from So House 7. And this is a big fail. And I have it here to show Jenny because you can see just by looking at it, maybe she can see it. Can you see what a fail it is? Oh, yeah, because your bands are floppy. The bands, I I did exactly, you know, I cut the pattern and I don't know if uh, I'm sure there's something went wrong in the printing or something because nobody, I've not seen anybody talk about this, but the, um, I, I, after it came out so weird, I went and measured it and they're the same size as the openings. Yeah. That's not normal. This is a knit garment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. I think I I think somehow it got screwed up. This is a printed home thing. I didn't have it printed somewhere. So I think there's a screw up on it somehow. So all I need to do, and I can actually still use this this tank top. I think it's a little stretched out right now, but I think after I change it and put it through the wash, it'll be fine. I'll just okay. use sh- make you know cut these bands off, and um, it'll take a little bit. Of course, they're surged on. Um. But it's a, I think it'll be a nice tank top for underneath the, the Asola jumpsuit. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it would be a nice one, but that is super weird, right? Um, that, that they would come in the same size. Cause that just, I know, I think, you know, maybe somehow I made the size, you know, maybe the, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 well, try, I'm sure try I again screwed and, it up. <laughs> and find out. Yeah. If you try again, you'll know. Um, yeah. I'll just measure the, um, cause I've got the measurement for the openings and I'll just do like, you know, 85% and that yeah. usually works for me. Yep. I, I find for me you know, at any rate, when I'm doing a garment like that, I tend to like do my own size anyway for the, the bands because I'm not always happy with the way the designer has chosen to define those. So I, I frequently will will cut my own size band anyway. I have been sewing, but I, I, I made two different patterns, but I made two versions of one and four versions of another. <laughs> okay, okay, let's hear so, it. Um, so I've been working on that project for PF Stretch Yourself, which is that I'm going to sew all of the wearables, the clothing wearables, in DIY Daisy's book, Sew It Yourself. And the one that I want to talk about today is the comma square neck uh, top. This one is um, composed of three, two different shapes. You cut out two each of two different shapes. And if you were to lay them out flat on a table, you're going to have the back and front of the garment opposite each other and distant by a certain number of inches. And then you're going to overlap some other rectangles on them. Um, in order to create an outline that looks like a t-shirt that's not been sewn down the side seams, right? So you've okay. got the sleeves coming off of it. And you're going to do this according to the measurements in the in the book. And for one of the measurements, it indicates um, it indicates a number, and we're just going to use an outrageous number and call it 50 inches, which is definitely not the number, because I don't want to give away yeah. the pattern, right? So 50 inches. And it tells you to put something 50 inches away from something else. 
And then it says, you know, baste it and find out, try it on and find out. And for my body size and my body shape, I had to almost double that distance, (laughs) which after you've already cut the pieces is naturally going to lead to some problems, right? Uh Because the pieces for the sleeves, which is where I had to change the distance. It means I took that distance away from the length of the sleeve and there's no way for me to lengthen it except sew on another piece of fabric, right? right? Because I already cut it out. So, so what I found is for my body size and my body shape, that if I cut things exactly as directed, I end up with a crop top that has short sleeves instead of the intent, which was a top you could tuck in that has elbow length sleeves. Okay. So what I what I did was I made my first version out of an aqua ice dyed linen and I love it. It's really wonderful, but it is definitely cropped. And if I was not wearing a bra, you would definitely see underboob like when I wear it. <laughs> Except that I'm mostly wearing it over a yesterday dress by oh. um Karamia Maui because I think it's a great pairing item. And that's yeah. something you may recall I did a lot of with um the dragon fruit I made yeah. little top to wear over other dresses, which I think is also how Karamia Maui used the dragon fruit often was over, sure. over a yesterday. So I love it. It has its own purpose. It's a great top. It is not as described in the book. It doesn't look right. like the book top. Right. So I made another version of it where I used color blocked scrap linen. So you can really see the lines of the garment. I used four different fabrics for the four different pieces. Okay. <laughs> That way there'd be no doubt about how it was kind of constructed. You can take a look on my Instagram to see that. And I added the amount of inches that I thought would be needed to get me a tuck-inable top mm-hmm. and an elbow-length top. And it and it worked just fine. And um, I've posted a little bit about that on my Instagram so you can see and understand the changes that I made. And I do want to call out that I don't think this is a, a flaw necessarily, but it is a difference and yeah. how the, the design comes out. Um, DIY Daisy definitely knew that there was a place where you needed to make a decision about how much you wanted to adjust something. It's just too late in the process for you to change your mind about the piece of the cut of the fabric that you're using, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, I love that one. I'm very happy with it. I'm likely to make a bunch more and may stick skirts on some of them. To be really clear, I'm likely to make both versions, like exactly as in the book, because I like the little crop top. And the version that's longer. So, well, I think it's great because, um, actually, you know, it's nice that you like that version, but for folks making the pattern out of the book, they may want it to look like that. And so what you're doing is kind of saying, Hey, if you have a bigger body, maybe consider this. Yeah. And in this case, I think the critical measurement that was different is that I have a large chest. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. I, I, I forget that it's kind of biggish because to me it doesn't look very big, but it's, but I wear a, a double D cup bra. So I've got a, a large chest compared to my upper chest measurement. And visually, most of the patterns in the book seem to be on people who maybe don't have double D cups. <laughs> and I think that may be part yeah. of the difference. There's sure. also a piece of it that's probably related to the overall body size. Cause I think, I think it wasn't thinking about the sleeves in terms of all like, distance in from your shoulder may look different on different bodies, basically. Um, So anyway, it was interesting to me. It was a great experience. And um, I recommend taking a look at what I've done. DIY Daisy has also put some things in their stories and has posted about some of the the work that I'm doing because they're interested in seeing how it comes out and sharing that. So it's really lovely. Um, 
the other one I did was I did tests for the brand new Dewdrop tunic that has just been released by Chris Woods sews. And I've done um, four versions of it <laughs> so far. Um, I made one that's on my feed right now out of an Essex green linen blend from Stone Mountain and Daughter. And I adapted the pattern to be different. So the way that the pattern's designed, you have very large armholes that you use elastic to gather up. And part of what that does, because um, Chris, of course, is a zero waste type sewer and pattern designer, is that if you're taking and you're making the armhole really deep and you're using elastic to pull it up, you end up with the garment being shorter on the sides than it is at the front. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> And that's why it's a tunic, right? Because it's cut actually a length that could be a dress, but if you haul it up by six or eight inches on the sides, now you have a tunic. And there's a split in the side as well. So it would be, you'd see my underwear, like if I did it exactly as written. So I made mine a little longer and I made my armholes shorter and put elastic in them still to gather them, but made them shorter because I wanted a dress. I see. So, so I like it. It's a really neat little dress. Although, um, to be fair, I have already sold it. It's one that isn't going to fit into my <laughs> lifestyle. It's not my thing to wear, but I thought it was fun okay. to make. And the weirdest part is I think I'm going to make more of them. I just haven't found the right one yet. <laughs> so I made some other versions. I made an Essex red version that I haven't posted yet. That's um, the tunic exactly as written in the pattern. And then I made two color block linen versions, one that's an orange and red that I like and one that's purple and yellow. And it turns out, no, I really don't like purple and yellow together. So, <laughs> so that one was a dud, but no fault of Chris Woods. That was a hundred percent me. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Cool. But I bet, I bet we have new patterns to talk about. Yes. The first, we just have a couple to talk about because we have a nice interview today. We haven't done an interview in so long. So this is weird. (laughs) Um, So um, the first thing is um, the pattern company French Navy has expanded their size range. And this is great because they have a small, very small size range and they had before and they had a lot of cute patterns. So now they're going to be going up to a 63 inch hip. And wow. I have called out two of their patterns. The first one is called the Belinda button up, which is just a button up like shirt, a regular shirt. One of which is, um, you know, like your standard shirt. And then the, the style B is really just the same. Only it looks like they've taken a Peter Pan collar on it with, um, ruffles around the collar and ruffles around the sleeve. So it's just a little addition there. It's okay. Basically a button-up shirt. Looks pretty nice. Yeah, I like the little ruffle on it because it's also, it's like a really tiny ruffle. Like it's a delicate yeah. little ruffle. I thought it was super cute. It kind of, there's something um country about it to me, that little ruffle. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. I agree. Like the 1980s sort of yeah. cute style that you, you know, Gunny Sack was putting out and making yeah. into dresses and yeah. But the next <clears throat> one is called the Tarifa Tea. And, you know, I like to make fun that, you know, the indie pattern companies all all have to have their own T-shirt. But this one actually is constructed a little differently. The construction of it reminds me of the matchy-matchy collage top, kind of. Yeah, it reminds me of the vellum night dress, too, the way the yeah. sleeves and sides are done on that. Yeah. Yeah, so the it's essentially like a, a, a front and back bib with an attachment for sleeves and sides. Um, yeah. on there and um, it looks like it you know perfectly nice uh, 
cute t-shirts. So if you don't have your favorite t-shirt yet, give it a, give it a look. Yeah. I looked at that one and I thought that'd be a lot of fun. There's a lot of color block opportunity, which I don't always think about for knits. Which is great because you always have scraps of knits and you have no idea what to do with them. Well, and to me, I actually, I think I'm going to buy this one. To me, this looks like the absolute perfect way for me to make use of t-shirts I have that are too small. This is one where I can cut out the front and the back from the t-shirt. And honestly, if I, if I like the neck that's already on it, I can just leave the neck in like exactly as it is, not have to fiddle with that. And then just add the side panels for sleeves. And you could do those out of contrasting or matching knits and you could have as many as four other colors no eight because there's a back too. other colors you could throw in if you chose to you know Mm -hmm. this is so that's interesting because there's a thing that i've been trying to do with i've got a whole bunch of race t-shirts and they are all poorly fitting like if i buy the if i buy if i well i sort of buy them but if i if i choose the women's sizes they're they're like they stick to you kind of thing. And if I choose the men's, they're too big. And so I've been choosing the men's like extra large. And so, so that I can cut them up into something useful, but this general pattern is something I could use like shapes to make, you know, I can just take the bits I want, which is like the name of the race or whatever, and put that in there. And then I can use it in the gym or something. I agree. I I think this is a neat idea. My husband is right now getting rid of a bunch of horror themed t-shirts as we try to simplify our life in our house and <clears throat> there's a bunch of those that I I would enjoy keeping but they would not fit me the way I would want them to fit me and because they're boxy mm-hmm. boxy men shirts mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I'm I'm loving this I'm I'm likely to buy this one and have some fun see what I can do it's great so Wonderful. So the only other one that I have for today is from Sew Over It. They have a, um, it's this, it's called a lined Frankie jacket and um, they market it for a confident beginner. It's, you know, so, so over it has this nice, a really nice style to them. This is kind of like a workwear jacket, but it's got more fitting in it. There is um, in the front, there are, there are regular, you know, under the arm darts. And then there's also a dart going into the pocket for a little yeah. bit extra shaping on that. So it's not just like a plain workwear thing. You also have the option of having, so like uh, a pointed collar or having a rounded collar. And then um, the, the different pocket types, like scooped out pockets versus, um, I always say the lidded pockets. What's it called? The flap on the pocket. Flap. <laughs> and <laughs> A pocket with a hat, for sure. Yeah, um, and then um, with uh, gathered at, at the bottom, which you don't often see for a workwear jacket. Yeah, I, I think this is a really nice looking one. I um, I appreciate it. I'm unlikely to make it because I'm still just not not a jacket person. Mm-hmm. But this is this is a proper jacket. You can make it in corduroy or canvas or boiled sure. wool. And um, I look forward to seeing what kind of variations people do make of this one. Yeah, I think it'd be great in corduroy. I think it'd be beautiful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. I really like it. I think it's a very neat looking jacket. But the meat of our episode today is really talking about our amazing guests that you sourced for us. 
So I have been interested that we have Brooksanne Camper here with us today. And Brooksanne has an amazing story. If you want to hear her entire journey to where she is now, um, I recommend listening to the Love to Sew podcast that she was on. I've linked it in our show notes. There's a bunch of links in our show notes for her website, for all the things we discuss in there, specific um blog post that she has that we discuss in there and uh, I highly recommend it. But essentially Brooksanne went from not knowing how to use an iron to um, designing costumes on Broadway to designing like big bird instead or to sewing big bird costumes um, for, you know, in a relatively quick amount of time and she's never used a commercial pattern and so she has a totally different perspective on making clothing for individuals. So we think you're going to love listening to Brooksanne. So here she is. Awesome. Let's take a listen. Jenny, we have a special guest with us today. We do. Absolutely. And I'm so excited because I've gotten to meet our guest in person a couple what? of times, actually. You didn't tell me that. I totally have. So at the first Frocktails that I went to, the one that brought me back into sewing, because I went expecting there to be nothing for fat sewists, and there Mm -hmm. was. The other thing that was there was this amazing sewist who had made a gradations of pink dress that was pieced together, like curved on the front. It was it was wild. It was like a quilt made into a dress. And I looked at it and I thought, that's completely amazing. But it was fitted like like it fit the body like it was supposed to fit instead of (laughs) what I do, which is I make a rectangle and I'm like, that'll do and put it on my body, right? It was different. It was inspirational. One I've thought of repeatedly for three years. It's it's just an amazing, amazing dress. And then later I met our guest at Mulberry Silks in um, Carver, I'm going to say, but in the Raleigh-Durham Triangle area in North Carolina and enjoyed uh, lunch and shopping. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty impressive. Okay, so our guest today is Brooksanne Camper, and Brooksanne has the most interesting um, career. I'm going to appoint people to your interview with Left to Sew because you give a really great history, really exciting history of your whole timeline. I don't want to make you have to draw all that out if you don't want to. And um, so folks can go listen to it and I'll link there that episode in our show notes. Um, Love to Sew being the educational counterpart to... <laughs> To our shenanigans. Yes, to our shenanigans. (laughs) So, um, Brooksanne, we're so happy to have you here. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) And we invited Brooksanne because we are doing a, our, our theme this month is hashtag PF stretch yourself. So people could use stretchy fabrics. People could you know, um, work on something that's difficult. Um, they could reach for something they normally wouldn't reach for. And I think Brooksanne is a great person to have on that, sh- this, this show because, um, you talk about a number of things I think that would qualify as a stretch for people. And one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, right away with you is something that I think is really pretty accessible to everyone, but a lot of people avoid it. And that is um, hand sewing. And so why, 
<laughs> Look at Jenny. Why would <laughs> why would someone want to do hand sewing? Oh, I know this one. People would want to hand sew because they hate themselves. That is that correct? <laughs> Maybe I've messed up. No. Um, I. <laughs> <laughs> hand sewing is so so the antithesis of anything I would ever do. I'm dying to know why I should do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Hi, generally <laughs> Beverly. It's great to talk to you. Um, so, okay. So after listening to your podcast, I do think that we kind of have opposite sewing styles, but I think we're all punk in our own way. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, so we'll get the hand sewing in just a minute. And I do want to talk about um, that uh, the sunshine on the shoulder dress that you made, yeah. Jenny. I think about that probably once a day. Like, <laughs> I, it looks so great on you. And I really want one for myself. Like, it's just my style and just my colors. And I just loved it. And you did a beautiful job. Um, but one of the things that I think that I can see that, we have in common um, with both of you <laughs> is that um, like when we sew for ourselves, we're also often sewing for others. So, you know, um, Jenny, a lot of your making, you know, is to share what the pattern looks like on you in hopes that, you know, you'll have this fun reference for other people who might look like you or might have a style like yours. And so it's like, um, you know, when you're sewing for yourself, you're also sewing for other people. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of, that's one of the things that I really like about you guys. Okay. But let's, uh, talk about hand sewing. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've gotten known as like this hand sewing gal, but I don't think it, like I do anything like earth shattering or anything. Like it's not, um, okay. So. One of the benefits of hand sewing, um, of course, I do love hand sewing. So a benefit for me is that I enjoy it. And adding more joy into your practice is always a good thing, I think. Um, but what makes me pull out my thimble instead of my machine, other than I think it's just beautiful and relaxing? So mostly um, it's my need for excellent support and for excellent control. So what do I mean by support? Uh, well, a piece of fabric starts to change the moment that you cut it. And the more you handle it and you move it and you manipulate it during the construction process, the less it starts to resemble the paper version. So when machine sewing, you're limited to an area of your room that is literally the size of a needle. And you manipulate and you move the project to fit through this teeny tiny little area while giving all of your control away to the machine. And so when you're hand sewing, you're able to have the pro project fully supported on the table. You manipulate and move the tools instead of the project, um, which help keeps the project from being overhandled. And um, you can hand sew if you're standing up or sitting down and you don't have to also coordinate your feet into the process mm -hmm. like you do with the machine. Um, and so if we're talking um, permanent hand stitches, um, I per personally love the invisibility. Like I love that I can pick through some layers and not others. And I love seeing... I love not seeing any stitches on the outside of the garment. Like that's really satisfying challenge for me. So that dress that you were talking about, Jenny, from 
frocktails. Like I made it my mission to have all the seams like completely invisible. Like there was no top stitching. Um, you know, I pick through the allowances. That was totally just fun for me, but also, um, because I document it on my blog. And so again, where you're sort of sewing for yourself, but you're sewing for someone else. Like I just wanted to show people like these fun techniques. So, um, I think it's, a you know, really fun challenge, uh, for that invisibility factor. Um, um, and, you know, I love hand sewing because it does have a lot of downtime and thinking time. And, you know, and so during that time is when you kind of like assemble pieces in your head. I mean, we'll get into it later, I guess. But like I've never sewn from a commercial pattern before, so I never have an instruction booklet. So there's a lot of um, in the shower time where you're sewing, but you're not sewing, you know, where you're thinking about it while you're, uh, you know, on your pillow at night. And the hand sewing steps, if you, you know, have them intermittent is a lot of like uh, time to do that real puzzling, grainy, detective time. Um, or you can just chill out. I mean, both are great. I mean, it's a great thing to do while you're listening to podcasts. Is anyone out there hand sewing right now? I see you. But I actually really enjoy hand sewing as well. And um, as someone who's not as experienced as Jenny at sewing, I do a lot more like not permanent um, stitches, but if I put in a zipper, I always hand based it. I used to hand based in my sleeves more. Um, I've gotten kind of like muscle memory with that, with my machine for, for most um, sleeves now where I can fit them in how I like without, without doing that. But I definitely, when I'm doing something like putting in a fly or something for me, um, it's just easier but another thing is I kind of feel like my dad used to talk about this with cars when people would fix them, but maybe not the right way. He'd call it Mickey mousing. Uh-huh. And sometimes I use hand sewing to Mickey mouse something that yes. like the stitching, it's not like it's not right. And so I want to fix it, but I can't do it on my machine. So I just put these stitches in there. Yes. So you are 100% speaking my language. So, um, so, you know, like if I'm making a wedding dress or doing something fancy, like I enjoy adding permanent stitches and, you know, cause that's like a labor of love and it adds this really special quality. But in my personal non-fancy garments and pretty much like what I teach about hand sewing, there's usually not much hand sewing in the final garment. I'm not avoiding it. I mean, I have it as a tool if I need it for those little, you know, Mickey Mouse moments and stuff, or, you know, just anything that might be easier to just quickly stitch in to try to figure out who can fit it under that little presser foot or whatever. Um, but, um, but like, I've never made a whole garment by hand. I mean, I'm not even interested in that. Like I have a sewing machine for doing my seams. Like I'm not anti sewing machine <laughs> by any means. I just like to mix it up. And so. <laughs> The benefit of hand sewing as temporary stitches is how quickly you can remove it without a trace. So I don't do a lot of seam ripping at all, which I don't find fun at all. But instead, I do a lot of basting, which I do enjoy. And then that lets me sort of try before you buy with almost every step. So I don't use the permanent stitch on the machine until I know that it's going to be successful. So there's like less surprises, less unpicking. And the best part is it doesn't have to look good. So when you're basting, you have this temporary goal. So if you reach your goal, then you did it right. So you might, you know, hand base in a zipper so that 
you can, you know, try it on and make sure that you like it before hitting the machine. And so did it stay in place for all of those tasks? Well, then you reached your goal, no matter what it looked like. And, and then when it doesn't matter what it looks like, then that's when you can get in a lot of great practice to get over the inevitable, I'm a beginner, this feels awkward, period, and gain that muscle memory for when you may want to get fancy and add a pretty little permanent hand stitch like somewhere in the future. So <laughs> that's kind of, you know. So do you do you have like specific needles that you like to use or just any old? I do. Um, so I think finding the right needle for you is going to be a personal preference. Um, but I definitely would never say any old, you know, like you want to figure out what's right for you. Different people will like different lengths and thicknesses, but I think the, the thinnest needle for the job, I mean, um, is, and you definitely want something sharp, um, is going to work. My favorite needles are, um, almost always end up being Japanese. Um, I like Japanese needles. Um, there's various um, types. Uh, Tulip brand is one. Um, and I think that that is almost like the key to yeah. learning to love hand sewing. I think it, 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 when you hand sew with a needle that sucks, it sucks. <laughs> you know? yeah, like a thick needle, it's so hard to yeah. push through. And then like, if you use a thin needle, it's so much nicer. So what size needle do you usually use? Like, Ooh, yeah. I am, you're also going to learn probably throughout this interview that I am not a numbers person. So I, yeah. <laughs> I don't associate with numbers. Um, I think they're like sevens or nines. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then the other thing, what you got to pair it with is a clover needle threader. So lots of needle threaders are garbage. The clover needle threader is amazing. So it's like $15 or something. Um, but then you don't ever have to worry about threading your needle. You just stick in the needle, you lay the thread across this thing, you push a button and it, and it threads it for you. So that's like that's a big, great. like, hurdle that you know because that's not a fun part if you you know you can definitely learn to thread a needle and I and um yeah I suggest needling the thread rather than threading the needle Mm -hmm. it's hard to talk about on a podcast I guess but um but the clover needle threader just get one of those and then you don't have to worry about threading your needle well, I know like one of the reasons that I mean Jenny likes to joke but one of the reasons she doesn't enjoy hand sewing is because it hurts her hands yeah yeah, yeah. So go ahead. I was just going to ask if you have any suggestions for people who's, you know, really it, it hurts their hands to do that. Um, well, one, of course, is going to be learn to use a thimble. Um, that's it's a sort of life changing thing. Like once you turn become when you're not a thimble person, which believe me, everybody who is a thimble person at one point was like, no, this is terrible. This feels terrible. This um, actually makes my work worse. Like um, you really do have to push through this like awkward, you know, awkward uh, beginner stage to get through learning a thimble. But once you do, um, it can really change your change your ways. And I think I I thought about this the other day, I guess maybe when you sent uh, over the questions and you said we're going to talk about hand sewing, I was thinking um, about uh, how you can also like gain some 
practice for, I haven't tried this because I already know how to use a thimble, but I bet you could practice a thimble with when you're pinning. Because sometimes I don't know if you're oh. just pinning fabric, you know, and it's too thick. Uh-huh. I'm putting putting a thimble on my finger for pinning. And I think that that would be a, a first of all, it probably help your hands if if pinning feels hard. Um, and then it might help you learn to use a thimble as well. But, you know, the other thing about hand sewing is guess what? It is not necessary. I mean, the vast yeah. majority of the world's clothing is made with zero hand stitches. So make sure it's something you want to do unless sure. something you feel like you're supposed to do. I mean, Fair it's, point. And, and it's different for everyone. So, you know, if it's all about the individual. So maybe like if someone's out there, you can reach out to me and like maybe even come up some tips specifically for your hands and what the problem is or your project and your goals, you know, because as we know, like everybody's sort of different. And my jam is, is, um, you know, is customizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, so I think for me, which is a little bit different, I used to hand quilt regularly. So I'm very familiar with and have a number of different thimbles that I use for different types of hand sewing efforts. Okay. Cool. A different thimble for a different need there. It, I don't find it to be the same. I love to it. Do quilting stitches as I do to do running stitches um, when I'm sewing as I do to do other kinds of stitches. But I find Mm -hmm. that I get hand fatigue from having to hold a small thing like that over time. That's actually, I think, where my my pain comes in is more sort of arthritis adjacent and grip strength adjacent. Um, But I agree with you. Thimbles make a world of difference if you're going to be using a small hard piece of metal to push through something. Yeah. Which no matter how perfectly you've got this thin, thin needle that should go through like butter, it's still an effort to get it, yes. you know, to work its way well, through. So I think symbols are a great idea. And I also need, so I'm the kind of person that I want you to tell me these different products that I need to buy and that's going to okay. make me better. But like, so what kind of thimble? Because I have this problem that I, um, okay, I like to use this thimble that's just really like a piece of silicone on my finger and just feels like the end of my finger. But I use these thin needles and I've been finding that I poke my, get poke right through the back end of my needle to my finger and mm-hmm. get a hole in my finger. And so I need something firmer than that, but things don't feel comfortable. So I don't know. Or And then I've seen these ones that only go like down on your lower knuckle part that you push through. Yeah, so that's a, a sashiko, sashiko. Oh, that's okay. for a different kind of sewing. I see, the ones okay. that go on the palm. But I think you sound like you would be an excellent candidate for a leather thimble. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's somewhere in between the metal and the silicone. And that is how I learned. In fact, that's the starter thimble that I ask, that I suggest for all of my students. If you're not a thimble wearer, is to start with the leather thimble because it, mm-hmm. it feels more like your skin because like, I mean, gross, it is skin. Um, and so uh, it, you know, and it forms to your finger after you use it, you know, like leather does. Mm-hmm. And um, that is what, um, when I was in graduate school, like we were required to use a thimble, like it was not an option. And so I was definitely like the, no, I don't want to. Um, but, you know, I have this grouchy <laughs> professor who says, yes, you're going to. And so like, I, I, um you know, started off with a leather thimble and I used that, you know, and until for three years, maybe until I was like sewing professionally for Broadway, doing hats. And I finally found 
the metal thimble that I that I love. And so it took me three years of like actively sewing all the time to like find my perfect thimble. And I went through lots of like leather thimbles in between there. It's a journey, let's just say. And I have an article in Threads Magazine that talks all about how to choose and use a thimble. So you could check that out. A lot of it is like, I feel like the the technique sort of, and maybe, maybe what might help um, you, Jenny, is that I find a lot of hand sewing is using the same um, muscles that I use to write. Um, So Mm. I see it so much. And so like, I, I feel like if you sort of think about it as like, you're just writing with a pencil, like maybe that helps you relax a little bit or, you know, and also having the project supported on the table and having your, you know, hands supported on the table um, is, is, is also, and taking breaks and base, there's a, there's a basting stitch on your machine. Like um, I use that all the time. Yeah. Um, so do I. <laughs> it's yeah. not that I'm opposed to basting where I feel it's needed. I just rarely turn to a hand needle for it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, totally I definitely cool. don't support my hands or my projects correctly when I'm hand stitching. I just yeah. So, so just sure. a little technique. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll maybe, if you want to, you'll be able to. <laughs> One of the things that I like about hand sewing that I'm going to, that I want to do. So I've always done a lot of like knitting during football season because we're, I'm a big football fan and I watch a lot of football and football's not something I want to have be doing my sewing machine because I want to be with my family when I'm watching football mm-hmm. games. And so, um, I think a hand sewing project would be really like just a simple, like Elizabeth Suzanne Georgia tea or something that's very simple front back and some cuffs on there. I think I could do that. Just hand stitch the whole thing. Yeah. Well, and this, the thing is like, um, that sounds like a really fun project that that's something that you are excited about doing, but don't get me wrong. Like I, I think that people think that I want to sew a whole garment by hand or I've make my whole wedding dresses by hand, but, um, I love, you know, I don't, I love hand sewing. I don't personally do like historical sewing. I'm a former costumer, but I don't personally do cosplay. I'm a pattern maker who avoids math and precision. You know, the best title I could come up with for myself is a couturier, but I don't want to make a Chanel inspired jacket, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I think this is important because um, it's great not to make assumptions about people, but also because it gives us lots of opportunities to explore. Like you can mix all of those things like into your practice if it like suits your fancy. I mean, this is, we're doing this for fun. So um, do what's interesting to you. I, I think a lot of people sort of like, I don't know. I think they think that I'm this really fancy, like, sewing person. But I do like to do fancy stuff, but also like, um, you know, there's a whole lot more out there sort of for everyone. Well, let's talk about, um, so one of the things that I was really interested in the first time I listened to you on Love to Sew podcast was you talked about your um, skirt making class, your skirt skills class. And um, can you tell us, like, you know, you said before that you've never used a commercial pattern. So, mm-hmm. you know, to me, that seems like, well, how do you avoid that? So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, okay, awesome. Well, um, 
that uh so to i guess give the full picture of how how it came to be um you had to know little of my sewing story um but I'll tell the quick version, focusing on how it is related to um, uh, you, your guests or your listeners um, stretching their skills uh, about their mindset or their um, about their mindset about fashion. So um, I had an unusual introduction to sewing, which took me from an absolute beginner um, to sewing professionally for Broadway in five years. Um, I didn't learn to sew as a child. I didn't attend design school or fashion school. Um, but I do have an MFA. There's a long story, funny stories about, um, how <laughs> between in here. And I've got a um, blog series on my, um, on my blog right now, my 26th anniversary blog series where you can see my whole story in glorious detail and photographic. But anyway, I do have an MFA. No, 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 no. Hold on. Yeah? Okay. I want to pause over the 26th okay. anniversary because yes. I've been following that series with just so much delight okay. in seeing every step of it along the way. So I, I just want to call out, even if, even if in your head, Brooksanne is only fancy <laughs> and all this hand sewing and really complicated techniques you can't even kind of relate to, which probably everyone listening would go, well, yeah, that does sound like Jenny. Um, <laughs> even if that's the case, there is so much to learn and feel inspired from there. I genuinely encourage you to immediately pause the podcast, go find this series and email a link to it to yourself then come back and finish the podcast <laughs> because you're not going to want to forget to actually go and look at the many, 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 many in-depth posts that have been put out there regarding how Brooksanne went from I don't sew to, oh, this is definitely my purpose. <laughs> and big <laughs> words involved, by the way. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's just amazing. So we can now skip past that because everyone has, I feel certain, paused, emailed themselves a reminder and come back. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, all right. So here's, I'll keep going on the quick version, um, you know, but I don't know how, I don't know how quick I can get. Um, so anyway, I had, I, cause I think my background. Thank you time. I think my background um, sort of explains where I'm coming from once you get to uh, my teaching, which is what I what I do right now. So like I my whole jam is sewing while focusing focusing on individuals and avoiding the fashion industry. So I developed my own unconventional sewing and pattern making practices and I teach couture to beginners. But how why I'm qualified to do that I guess is um okay so I pick up back I, so I've got this master's degree in costume production which is basically a degree in making of uh, the making side of one-of-a-kind clothing so custom pattern making custom sewing all that kind of stuff and then after leaving Broadway, <laughs> I eventually started my own custom wedding dress business. And since 2009, I've been blogging um, the nerdy behind the scenes uh, sewing details as I work with each bride to create each new dress. And so this started to attract 
home soest, which was a new community to me. And um, I have been both trying to fit in and rebel against it ever since. So um, now my... That sounds right. That sounds right for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now my main gig is um, teaching uh, couture sewing to beginners. So when creating costumes for professional theater and wedding dresses, I didn't learn to work with standardized sizes like they do in fashion. So everything is custom designed and custom made to fit each specific actor or bride. And so since I technically design and make clothing, it's understandable why some well-meaning person might call me a fashion designer, but I don't identify with either of those terms. I consider myself more of a maker than a designer, and fashion is like my arch enemy. (laughs) So I've made it my mission to offer an alternative to fashion-based garment construction or creation. Um, I don't want anyone to have to wait to depend on someone else to come and save you. I believe that you can be your own superhero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so fashion sewing fits everyone in general and no one specifically and custom sewing fits one person and nobody else. And so my courses or all of the educational things that I try to put out are about custom sewing. And so it's this individualized way to sew. So in fashion, the idea is to make something that fits the most people possible. And so when your goal is to sell lots of garments or patterns, it's not possible to create for any one individual. So like all those averages and formulas and charts and numbers and stuff, it's like the key to fitting the most people possible. And so Drafting from like fashion textbooks or following courses from fashion-based schools, even if you're learning to customize the formula by plugging in some of your numbers, you know, this can get very technical and rigid with rules and math and formula heavy. And it often also just doesn't offer much understanding of how to actually transfer the person's specific body onto a piece of paper. It's usually like this, um, what I call a do this, then do that method. You just like blindly follow the instructions. And then hopefully at the end, it does something, but you didn't really, it didn't make any sense. Um, And so when drafting custom, I only need the information from the one specific individual's bodies and preferences. So like all of those industry standards and averages or any kind of charts or sizing This isn't necessary when you've got the person like right in front of you. So it's more like um, creative critical thinking and less about uh, following instructions. Um, So so custom selling is all about... um, how to start and stick with a project where you don't know the ending first. So like life rarely hands you a flawless set of instructions with the exact picture of what it's going to look like at the end. And the, the same thing with sewing, like you, and so in my classes, I try to teach people how to learn how to puzzle solve your way through garments that have never been made before. And so uh, I've developed these processes specifically for you, not tweaked from a standard formula to be more like you. Uh, you learn to create high quality custom fit garments um, without the use of sizes or commercial patterns. And uh, 
I mean, like when I see a book or a tutorial that lists like adjustments and then it has like all of your like non-standard body parts like this and that's how you have to figure out how to make something fit like this does not give me the warm fuzzes about sewing and so when all sewing people started to find my blog they were always coming to me from like this perspective and it like made me feel so bad like I didn't like I just felt like I had enjoyed this like I had enjoyed that making my own clothes or making clothes for others was a, was a departure away from that. And I felt like once I learned how the home sewing process went, like it was just back to the same stuff. Like you were still under these um, constraints of, of fashion sizing. It was always, it started with something that was designed to be mass produced, but then it's tweaked more to fit like you. And obviously like this works, like, you know, there's so many people out there that this works for. And so I'm super happy that that's out there. And so I just want to offer an alternative. Um, Cause when there are no sizes, like there are no plus sizes, there's no grading between sizes. It doesn't matter if your legs are longer than someone else. It doesn't involve a comparison process. So that's why I tried to avoid. So I couldn't find methods that I liked out there anyway, anywhere. So I realized that it had to be me. <laughs> and so I was like, oh no, it's gotta be me. I gotta figure all this out. So I've been working on this for years and years <laughs> and, um, and that's what I've got. So I'm teaching everything needed to know for making your own clothes. Um, in addition to completely making completely custom blocks, you learn the pattern theory, how to make and work through mock-up fittings, how to transfer your findings back to the pattern, how I like to mark and cut fabrics, how to choose fabrics, pinning, hand sewing, machine sewing. There's no pre-assumptions about your previous knowledge um, or about your figure. <laughs> I've been talking a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm passionate about this. Yeah. Well, so one thing I think is interesting too is um, I just realized, um, so, you know, we, after you sew for a while, you start to realize you make a same adjustment on every pattern, right? It's like, oh yeah, okay. I have straight shoulders. I don't have a sloped shoulder. So I always have to like take a triangle out at the shoulder. And so it's interesting because, like, I also just learned that maybe my shoulders are a little forward because I, I was like, oh, this is like back here. That's why it's cutting me neck off. And then I realized, so then this is something, it's actually information I don't need to know about myself, that my shoulders Correct. are more forward than the the average person, right? I only know that because I use a sewing pattern to do this or I buy ready-to-wear clothes or whatever and it falls that way. You know, if someone were to draft all their own clothing, um, they would never know that about themselves because they wouldn't be in comparison to a person whose shoulders are back here. Absolutely. That's the thing is like, I have no idea what my measurements are. I don't know if I am short waist or whatever. Some people will come into my class and say like, oh, I can't do this because of because my the waist to hip ratio or whatever. I'm like, no, that doesn't that is it's all you're all it's all about comparison. And that's what I'm allergic to. Like my sort of made it my mission to make it so that there's not this comparison process. So, yeah, I don't um, it doesn't matter if you're shoulders are slopier than someone else's shoulders because you're not making 
if you're not making clothes for everyone. So I think, I think making your own patterns uh, gets a bad rap because you think of it from a fashion designer's perspective, like a fashion designer has to learn a completely different way than you would, because that fashion designer has to learn to fit everybody kind of sorta. And so their job is to erase all of those idiosyncrasies so that you can get pretty close to everybody. But if you just work on you and you're not also trying to start a fashion business, if it really is just you sewing for you, you have so many advantages, really. Like, you know, so one of the advantages being that, you know, you only have to learn one body. And guess what? You have that body with you 24-7. And, you know, and it's also so much about your personal preferences, which is something that a designer could never know. Like, you get to work with the exact variables and all of those variables that couldn't possibly have been predicted by the person who created the product, which is the pattern, you know, they are giving you a template. And so you have to look beyond that. So I hope even if people don't want to learn my weird, like couture sewing, like making sure that you understand that it, that it's, that that template that you get in the pattern and those instructions are just a suggestion. Like I, you know, if, if you're working through your project and your fabric is not having it, you don't have to use the same technique that they did. They don't have your fabric. They don't know your body. And so, um, so, you know, thinking about those things where you might get mad at yourself because, Oh, at the end, this didn't turn out like you thought, but you couldn't have known that. And so I think that's like the thing about couture sewing is like, you know that you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Like you're starting a project that you don't know the ending for. And so you really do take it one step at a time. Like I don't, I, um, I don't plan, um, but I do prep. And so I do a whole lot of prep, but my prep is just really to get me to the next step. Cause then the next step will tell me, okay, well, I think we're going to end up, you know, binding the neckline instead of making a facing because, but I don't really know that until I get to the, to that point. And I can make that decision then. And then it's specifically suited to my project and my needs or whatever. I just found more fun um, because I didn't have this expectation of what it was supposed to be. I didn't have this instruction booklet where someone had seemingly already figured it out for me, but they couldn't have. Right. Because you're making something that's 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 one of a kind. So uh, anyway, (laughs) well, what, what courses do you offer, Brixanne? Okay, so that is <laughs> that's the thing. Is so my courses are a um I have online courses and the first uh intro to custom sewing course is skirt scales and then um and then there's two more classes after that which you can take after you're a skirt skills graduate. You can take um top class or smarty pants. And so um so, so I know there's a question you're going to ask uh, about about skirts um, because you told me you're going to ask it and um, and it is everybody's question. So like 
I have this brilliant thing that I want to put it in the world. And I've been working on it for years and years. Um, and uh, but you do have to take skirts as the intro class. And so, um, and, and so <laughs> what, uh, you can go ahead and ask the question, but you're just like, what do you do um, if you don't like skirts? Um, or yeah, if it doesn't agree with your gender presentation, you know, yes. like if you're a man or non-binary person, you know, that's a kind of a big investment for something you don't want in the end. Yes. So I, um, I totally understand that because believe me, like no one, no one wants to start with skirts. So this immediately <laughs> turns off lots of people. So not a great business plan for me, but <laughs> there is a short version in the FAQs on the skirt skills place, but I am actually really grateful for this opportunity to talk through the long version of it. So uh, like, thank you <laughs> and bear with me. I'll probably talk again for like 10 minutes. But so why I require everyone start with skirts is that it is a beginner thing and not a style thing. So my mission has been to create new systems designed specifically for individuals who want to learn to make their own clothes while opting out of the fashion industry. No sizes, no standards, no comparisons to others. And I wanted to make no assumptions about the body and no assumption about the person's prior knowledge of sewing clothes. So it has to be for beginners to garment sewing because everyone, even if you have prior experience, will be learning a new language and new techniques. And like I, as the teacher and the developer of these methods, I want to be able to work individually with you. And so we need to all like speak the same language. I personally don't have any experience with the commercial pattern. So, you know, you won't be building on that foundation. You'll be learning everything from scratch. So students of all experience levels, they enjoy my courses, but everyone is encouraged to start or start over as a beginner. Um, so there's lots of benefits to that, to that, but, um, but we're talking about why skirts. So <laughs> think of skirt skills as more of an intro to custom sewing course than a skirts course. Skirts is simply the main beginner friendly medium to learn all of the skills and the steps and the techniques to include like every step of the custom process. And this includes everything needed to know your to to make your own clothes so it's not just a block creation course and a pattern making course it's also a sewing course so you'll learn how I love to create garments um, from start to finish in a way that is specifically designed to highlight the opportunities and the freedom that you have when you are the fit model and the designer and the maker and the wearer. And so <clears throat> we're not modifying fashion formulas originally for the masses. Um, I have made it my mission to offer stuff specifically designed for you, never referencing any of that industry stuff. Anyway, my point is you will be learning a lot. And so skirt skills is where you learn all the principles and practices and processes and all while creating the easiest example garment of skirts. So design, pattern, drafting, fitting, sewing, each subject is covered comprehensively and each lesson builds upon the next. 
And in the intercourse is also where we map the middle of the body into a reusable tool. And the middle of the body is also part of your pants and your tops. So in custom flat pattern making, we use a reusable tool that's super cool. Um, I call it a block. And so a block is a 2D map of your anatomical characteristics. So it's a blank no style tool that represents your unique shaping. So in a fashion-based company, a block is what represents a certain size before any style has been added to design a garment or whatever. So in my classes, we make these blocks based on you. No fixed numbers, no fashion formulas. It's just logical, neutral, anatomical way of getting a template of your body, but flat. And since we use data taken from your body and your personal preferences, it makes sense and you're in charge. And so fashion textbooks often offer ways of like plotting numbers to create these types of templates. But those authors never had you in mind and they make a lot of assumptions about you just like commercial patterns do. And so I was never able to find the logic in the block drafting processes of like, Helen Joseph Armstrong or Susie Furrer. And I have a literal master's degree in this stuff. So after playing around with those systems, it became my mission to find an alternative because I hated that every method that I could find for finding the, for making the base body template included so many industry standards when I or any individual is never going to fit into those standards and I am never going to align with that industry. So back to skirts. (laughs) So in the (laughs) intro course, we do a lot of exploration into how like gravity and the grain of fabric works with your unique shaping and we work hard to get that neutral blank fit. And so we can use it as the basis to make unlimited patterns while knowing where you are in each pattern piece. So in the skirt class, we acquire the specific volume distribution of your lower body, the specific intakes and lengths of darts that best map your shaping, the specific tilt and placement of your natural waistline, the unique curve and placement of your neutral side seam. You get to determine the amount of ease that you prefer. And these are all foundations that will be continually referenced when you advance to tops or pants. So in order to get the beginner which is every student really successfully into the more complicated and advanced garments one step at a time. The pants class and the tops class assume that you've already gained all the foundational knowledge from the intro course. And they assume that we're working from known foundations and that you've earned and practiced the basic theories of pattern making and sewing. And mostly that we're all speaking the same language. Um, because I'm so anti-assumption, the only assumptions that are included are that you followed the lesson before it and the one before that and the one before that. So, so even if you know that you won't ever want to wear a top that fits your lower torso, like a skirt, having that skirt foundation already worked out on paper and in a mock-up Let's us take the measurements for our tops while wearing that mock-up. So you've got even more reference points that you can be successful when gathering the number data and the visual data from the body. And in pants, instead of making like fashion assumptions like 
I think I read that in fashion methods, they assume that everyone's thigh is 61% of their hip, (laughs) which is wild. So like my, yeah. So like my only assumption is that your skirt block reached the specific goals from skirt scales. So you've already got that map from waist to hip, and we can use that as our known starting point to get you more quickly into those pants that is what you really wanted. So you're building the skills that you've learned to cut and pin and sew and press and how to conduct fittings and make mock-ups rather than trying to learn all of those things while also doing all of the more advanced stuff. I mean, there is a lot of review, but the steps of the custom process don't really change. So the follow-up courses were designed as a continuation, like a second go at the process. So you can truly advance your skills. (laughs) So from there, so what we understand is that you have to take skirts because whether you want a skirt or not, you're going to learn a language. So it's really a language building skill that may or may not help you with a garment you wish to wear at the end of the skirts class. So yeah. that I, I can totally understand. Here's a different question related to it. You offer these only a handful of times a year. Your next one's coming up in June, but has the, the sign-up date for skirts is in May. How quickly does that sell out? How exactly at the 10 a.m. on May 20th does someone have to be there to sign up? Uh, well, this is one of these things that's kind of specific to like the logistics of how the course is being um, presented at the moment, because I have lots of ideas for how I am planning to possibly offer other things. But um, I would say I'm not sure about the June class because I, this is my fourth podcast interview randomly. Like I haven't been asked to do a podcast interview since 2018. And now this is number four for me since the last time I ran the class. So I suspect with that added marketing that it might go quickly, but um, you know, it hasn't been selling out um, okay. recently. So then the but more it has, important question. In, in the in the past, it sold out once. Right after the Love to Sew interview, it sold out in 20 minutes. But now it's not so popular. <laughs> so my my follow-up question is really then where do people send their specific bribes to make sure they get into the class? <laughs> okay, well that's a that's that's valid, <laughs> at least at the moment. Well, okay, yes, uh, you can PayPal me or whatever, but uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, uh, if you get on my mailing list, which is also lovely, I send out every other week. Well, we'll see how my consistent consistency keeps up, but every other week I send out a custom sewing love letter. And there are opportunities in the love letter to um, sign up for early admission. And all early admission does is um, you get the email 24 hours before everybody else does. And really all that does is sort of help me gauge how many people are interested and whether or not I need to spend a lot of time doing marketing or whether or not I can go and work to try to make another course for you that maybe wouldn't start with a skirt. Um, <laughs> and so, um, But so there is, uh, you'll, you, I think people will be able to get in <laughs> at least like this year. But, um, yeah. I know there was one other thing um, that we wanted to talk to you about. And Jenny, I know you were interested in doing this. The Brooksanne has a method on her blog about how to make a custom 
uh, dress form for yourself. Yeah. So Brooksanne actually contributed that booklet once. We gave that away as a prize on how to make a custom dress form. My, so yes, super interested in it. Don't want to do it by myself. What what I want is for Brooksanne to tell me what day I show up in Raleigh-Durham and we build a dress form with um, our, however many humans are needed to make that a financially viable activity. Yeah, no, let's do that. We've done it before. There, I've done that before. Like, it's really fun. So that um, in the book, actually, there's a there's a picture of someone who came to me, you know, yeah. with her with her unpadded dress form and she was making her own wedding dress and we padded yeah. it together. I've done it a couple of times. Um, another one. um somebody from Asheville came up. So the Asheville area came up. So yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing for me is that I, I read the thing and it feels intimidating and I end up like I, anyway, I end up at a yeah. place where I'm suddenly like, shit, I don't, I don't think I have enough smarts to work my way through this in a way that will result in a mannequin that's you are dress form that's usable by me. I have done. So I have, I have, I have covered myself in duct tape. I have um, like back. In the, in that's the just that's and, personal, Jenny. Come on, okay. nobody wants to That's true, but but <laughs> it's but it's a method that people have suggested using. I have back in the eighties and nineties. I used to use my bras and underwear to try and build something out, and I never got to a place where I was like, it's a firm enough dress form to be useful. Like it was squishier than my boobs, so there was no yeah. way it was really going to maintain integrity if I wanted to use it to drape, which is what I ultimately want. And I know you're considering draping as a class moving forward. That's where I want to get to. And I feel so intimidated about building my own dress form. I've tried so many things, but I am also so far off from the measurements on most dress forms. And then it's like, I mean, should I really be using plaster of Paris first? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) What I mean, like what can I actually use to make it firm enough I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying it right but it doesn't feel like excuse me but it feels like I'd need 87 bats of quilt batting in order in order to build something out enough to actually even have it kind of be my size plus be firm enough like firm enough I've said yes. that many times but that's <laughs> yes. where my issue is well, um, then I think you will like my methods. I, you know, would never recommend someone wrap themselves in duct tape. That sounds terrible. And I have had students who come to me with their duct tape forms and I find them unusable. Um, and so, yeah, it's just that basically the way that I show you how to do it in the, um, in the, in the ebook. And there's also a free, a free version. There's a condensed version that's for free. That's on my blog. Um, but then I just went um, a lot farther um, with the ebook where um, your ebook yeah, is so reasonably. We actually make though. a. Okay, well, I'm I'm very happy to um, <laughs> to uh, make. Yeah, it's only fifteen bucks, uh, and yeah. so and I. And I t- show all kinds of um, example, extra examples and stuff on there too. Um, but uh, the not necessarily the process. So the process for making it that I share in the ebook and in the condensed guide um, is one that I made up and you are watching me go through it for the first time because I'm making it for myself. That's the thing is I wanted to tailor... I'm I'm usually making dress forms for my brides or for actors or whatever, and yeah. so um so I and I had always been doing it for someone else, and I had actually never taken the time to do it for myself. You know, the dressmaker has no clothes sort of stuff, and so 
the techniques that I teach in the book were specifically designed for someone who is making it for themselves. I would not recommend these techniques for someone who is making it for somewhere else because we get real cheeky, touchy feely. Um, there's also no measurements. That's one of my favorite parts because I am not a numbers no person. No measurements. Um, and How so, do you do that without a measurement? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like, it's more like, sculpture than it is like a math problem. Um, and so like, I've always found that um, photos are actually more helpful for sewing and measuring than number data. Um, and oh. so we, I do teach at the very end, I go through and just, I use, I do take measurements. I mean, but I didn't record any, I would literally just take the, take the tape to my body and then take that same piece of tape. It could have been a string. It didn't involve any numbers. I see. Um, and so uh, it's, I just try to avoid numbers whenever I can. And it's because I think the body is not able to be measured. I mean, you can really get a whole lot of information from a body from photos. You know, you can see exactly like what shape your dart should be. And but anyway, we're talking about dress forms. The dress forms, <laughs> the um, the um, there's a, a you make a photo tool, and then you can use the photo tool to figure out like where the differences are. And in in a lot of ways, Jenny, you have an advantage in that you have to add a lot of padding. Like this is one of the things where the larger bodies actually get the advantage is because the smaller that the form is compared to you, the more customizable it can be. Right. If, if a, if a form is like kind of sort of your shape, you're going to run into problems because you'll realize like, Oh, it is that bigger. My hips are that, that circumference, but my hips are four inches higher than that and you can't move them. But if the, if the base form is small enough, the padding gets to do everything. And so it can become more customizable. And so it's really just, um, the, as far as the firmness goes, um, <laughs> you'll see the, the materials that I use in the book, like I use, um, and this is what we use for professional actors and everything too. Um, is just this, um, quilt, uh, quilted muslin. Um, so there's like muslin on both sides and it's quilted, it's pre-quilted. That's what I like to use because it's so movable and, uh, and it does have a, a, a good amount of firmness. Um, if you need to, to go add a lot of padding in a certain area, you can use like pillows, you can use um, uh, towels, you know, and so they're like different, different, um, like different size towels you can use for different things, you know, to just get like some bulk so that then the top layer ends up being where you do all the fine tuning with the, uh, with the quilt batting. And what I like is that like you can, is that why I like the padding methods over like just having like a 3D scan or like sewing up like a moulage or something and then stuffing it is that the padding is so movable and changeable. And so you don't have to get it right. Like I promise, like I, the same thing when I make, when I, every time when I make a dress form, I come to this point and I do this professionally, I come to this point where I'm like, 
this is terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I'm never going to get through this. Um, But just like with every project, like if you keep revising it and you don't give up, then you will get through it. Like, I think my my superpower is that I have so much experience sewing for others. And I've already promised that it's going to work out like they've already given me a deposit or whatever. So like I don't have an (laughs) option to fail. So I don't, you know, like I really do have to like keep, keep revising. And so like my jam is sort of like editing and revising is my jam. And so like, that's how I sort of, that's how I approach kind of everything. And that's, that's part of how, what I teach in sewing too, is that, you know, make everything temporary and with as low expectations as possible for as long as possible, and then get through that little step. And then I I can relate to that part, like in a big way, low expectations are (laughs) like one of my favorite things. It's like, I sell my garments and I say, as long as you're good with messy insides, totally shop my stuff because the insides really aren't particularly messy, but I've set a measure. <laughs> yeah. And I've never had someone come back and be like, oh shit, that was way worse than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is so much better than I imagined. And I'm like, yeah. And everybody cool. enjoys it because you Absolutely. didn't think it was going to be something that it wasn't. <laughs> it didn't like, no. Yeah. I, mean, well, I say- like this too, because it sounds like you can easily change, like, because my body's been changing a lot, like yeah. as I get older and it seems yeah. like, you know, you can really change where, I mean, and like some places bigger, some places smaller, you know, just, it would be yeah, nice. For me, it's more remove. of a higher, lower situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do have so. things that get smaller or bigger, but it's more of one of those where I'm like, huh, I didn't know my chest went down that far now, but yep. now that I do, I've got to change that dark. Because yeah. t- take a little uh, shoulder pad off of here and put I it mean, down there. Those darts were originally based on chests that belonged to somebody 30 years ago. And uh-huh. having to yeah. figure out the difference is really huge. I will say this has been like such a journey of, <laughs> of such highs and such lows, like places where I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to hand so it's going to be amazing. Oh no, that sounds really terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Followed by, oh, obviously I'm going to make my own dress form. And yet if Brooks Ann has moments of hesitation, <laughs> Perhaps I will just continue to only make loose clothing for myself. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. I just know that I can figure it out. (laughs) Okay, so I'm like 100% sure you do know what you're doing. Even if you have those moments where it's like, I'm not sure what the specific next four moves are, but you have a pretty good picture of the overall thing. It's really amazing. And we appreciate you coming and chatting with us so much. Is there anything you want to promote that wouldn't stop me from signing up for the skirts class in advance? Anything other than that, that you'd like to promote, let me know. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, you know, just check out my website. Um, So you can find like all, I have a website, brooksand.com, B-R-O-O-K-S-A-N-N. And that takes you to um, my educational website and to my blog, which I've got 300 blog posts. So if you just want to like, you know, I've been blogging pretty consistently, consistently since 2009. So there's lots of free stuff on there. And then um, it also takes you to my bridal website. You can look at my, you know, my bridal gown portfolio and then get on my mailing list. I think I was getting to this. Yeah. So I sent out these like custom sewing love letters 
and I don't, I'm, I haven't really picked a format or anything. So I'm just kind of sending you something that I'm, I'm interested in. Lately, it's been a lot of podcast interviews <laughs> and, but, um, get on my mailing list and yeah. let's keep in touch. I'm on Instagram, Brooks and Camper. Um, but mostly, yeah, at learnwithbrooksand.com is where you'll find out all about my e-courses and you can find my ebook. We're certain that you really loved that interview. There was a lot of information to absorb, to be sure. And we strongly recommend that you check out the links in our um, podcast show notes, uh, as well as just following Brooks Ann on Instagram and um, checking out the blog that she puts together, which is a, a, just a treasure trove of possible information. You're going to love it. Um, is there anything else we wanted to cover today besides how you can support us by going to patreon.com slash punkfrockers and subscribing? Yep. We really love our Patreon subscribers so much. And I guess with that, we will see, see you, you next, next Tuesday. The Punk Frockers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frockers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art.